welcome to the Macabre Emporium. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. This is episode eight. This will also be part two of David's episode from last week where he talked about Tony Kuritsis and the Dead Man's Line. Yep. And it's going to be a long one. He's got a lot of PG, P- pages. A lot of pages. That's what my mouth it's meant to say. It's not really a lot of pages as you want to claim it to be. It, it's not, but it is going to be a long one, so we're going to not fuck with chit-chat today. Yeah, we're just going to get straight to it. It's not the 70,000 pages you kept joking about and you saw me, saw me <sighs> so continue to type in between customers coming into the store today. Well, you know... Shop customers need love too. Right. Um, if there happens to be any chiming or weird background noises, sorry, we can't do anything about it because it is extremely windy outside today during our recording. And yes. So very windy you, and very cold. So if you hear a wind chime, that's what you're you're actually hearing a wind chime. That you're not imagining it. So yep. as Sarah said, we're not going to be much shit chat today. We're going to get right into this because I only have probably five pages, not seventy thousand, as you were joking earlier tomato tomato okay anyhow <laughs> <laughs> let's do it and uh, now that after i left you on a cliffhanger for the most part after last week which i know you were super angry about it not angry just it got to a really interesting point and right. then you're like time to pull out <laughs> so yeah let's finish this at first it was i couldn't find a whole lot about what happened on after they reached the apartment uh-huh. but i did find some more information after i looked through the documentary a dead man's line that a lot of my material came from because the wikipedia page was very vague so i had to go back through and read through a lot of what was available from there and watch their youtube videos yeah if you haven't listened to part one of this go back and listen to it because you're gonna be lost if you don't yes also <clears throat> it's just it's a fucking bizarre case even just the right. the half that you told in the last episode mm-hmm. And then you left it on a cliffhanger that was really not infuriating. But it mm-hmm. was at a point that I was like, oh, it's getting good. Let's go. And then right. you're like, okay, bye. <laughs> so, yeah, let's, let's, right. let's, let's just go. So last week I ended it with them getting into a police car and speeding down Washington Street in Indianapolis towards where Tony lives at the time. It was the name of apartment complex he lived at was crestwood village it's still around today still called the same thing yes oh it literally still looks like the same one i looked at it on google street view basically no updates at all to the nope. outside everything it Oof. still looks the same on the outside Jeez. tony kuritzis would take dick hall inside to his apartment for the next two days uh, he would inform law enforcement that he has the windows and his doors rigged with explosives and law enforcement took that threat kind of very well, not kind of, but they took it very seriously as evidence had, it was submitted to his trial showed he had purchased dynamite recently as evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't much about if this was the case of what he used for that, but since he was clearing the trees on the 17 acres that I had mentioned before in part one of this, my guess is that he was probably using these using this dynamite to clear out tree trunks on the 17 acre 
of land that he owned, mm-hmm. which is very similar to by a man named Andrew Kehoe, which will probably be covered in by me in another episode later on next year. Now, this is also where I couldn't find a whole lot of detailed informa- detailed information of what happened on the inside, and this is why I needed the extra time, because I did find some more information uh, during this next two days during his standoff in his apartment, except this is where he would make his demands and also would start making phone calls to WIBC News Radio in Indianapolis, wanting to talk to a reporter by the name of Fred Heckman. And would be, he would also become a key person in this whole entire case because he would be the main guy between Tony and the police, basically. <clears throat> gotcha. As Fred Heckman would air his phone calls live over the air and where Tony's phone calls were the truth about Meridian Mortgage, which I know you've been wanting to know, and I'm going to get into that in this episode, what actually ha- what Tony thought happened and actually what happened. What there's a difference between what? Mm-hmm. What? Yep. Okay. I know it sounds weird, it, but it yep. makes sense when when I tell you. Okay. This is also where he would make his demands clear, and this is what his demands were. He wanted an apology from Meridian Mortgage, and a financial compensation of five million dollars for Meridian Mortgage as well. He wanted granted immunity from prosecution and no psychiatric evaluation. He would state all the stuff more than once during his phone calls. That he's been sober for years and he hasn't had a drink in years also. And he would state this more than once. He would even state it again in a press conference later. Uh, Tony was able to hold off the police from entering by telling he had the whole place rigged with dynamite, as I had already mentioned before. And he more than likely is because of his experience in the Army, he was considered a booby trap expert as well one of the pictures you can find is a SWAT officer basically observing from directly across from his third floor apartment in the building directly across from them Uh SWAT snipers that have been positioned across from his apartment could confirm that he did in fact have some kind of explosive device right through his apartment and this would also take them out of the equation to rescue Dick Hall because of these wires that they could see but they couldn't tell what it was SWAT also would report that there was a large weight that, with a chain attached to it which Tony Curtis would chain Dick Hall to whenever he got tired of holding a shotgun they how how did the police know this did they were they able to see into the yes, apartment they were, through a window or something they were positioned across the street or the grassy part of this apartment complex mm-hmm. because I'm guessing it changed from what I could see in the documentary to the Google Street View now. Um, but there's a black and white picture where you can see the SWAT officers for, SWAT officers with their rifles out pointing out of the window. And oh, they were directly okay. across from the third floor from where okay. they were at. That makes sense. So they were able to see inside, which I'm kind of surprised Tony left the curtains open for such a thing. Mm-hmm. But it could also have been intentionally left open so they could see everything that he had set up yeah the SWAT officers like I said could see wires running from his bedroom window and the sliding glass door from where they were positioned out across the way from him but they couldn't affirm really what they were attached to them some of the reports were that they could see straws and keys attached to the windows by either a piano wire or a nylon cord Without fully knowing the purpose behind what they were attached to, this would take the SWAT snipers as a, out as a resolution for the standoff. Before, like I said, there's not much you can find information-wise on everything that's out there. Mm-hmm. My guess is what these straws probably were for was to psych out police and law 
and other law enforcement officers to that he had maybe had some kind of trigger switch attached to his sliding glass door mm -hmm. by using a straw to mimic oh, okay. contact points more than likely. And also the keys that were mentioned by SWAT officers were probably acted like some type of alarm. So if this cord gets got cut, they would hit the floor and alert Tony or whatever. Right. He would also have his apartment stocked up with food for about a week as well. And he had also had arranged his apartment to be very similar to the floor plan of Meridian Mortgage. So he had this, so he would know how much space he had to work with. Damn. So like a lot of these little details, clearly he fucking planned this. Right. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, he planned this. Even you could tell that from the start with how he walked into the mortgage office. Mm hmm. It was originally reported that by the news that he had containers of nitroglycerin and dynamite rigged up in his apartment, but this came out to be false. Tony Kurtzis did have an incendiary device set up in his apartment attached to these wires the snipers could see. But I was going to head this stuff in, and then I got into that little thing about I don't need the ATF, the, you know, those guys that don't need jokes mm -hmm. at our door, because I don't know how legal it is for me to share these information, even though right. that's publicly out there. And I don't want us to be pin, have it pinned on us if somebody mm -hmm. commits the same kind of crime. If you want to see them, they're out there on the internet. Just search Tony Kurtzis. You're going to find it. So with that said, I'm going to keep on moving. Even though it was quite ingenious with my using my knowledge from the fire service on how think certain materials, as I will say, spread. Mm -hmm. How it's set up. It was actually quite ingenious on how simple this would work and how much damage it probably would cause. A lot, I'm assuming. It could have, but there wasn't really anything quote-unquote explosive in this setup, but I could see what how this fire would spread quickly mm -hmm. if it was used from an incendiary device of this sort. Okay. Also, like I had mentioned before, that I couldn't find a whole lot of things that went on, which I mentioned a couple times already. Mm -hmm. But in one of the few interviews that I could find that Richard Hall, or Dick Hall, depending on how you knew him, mm -hmm. That would be one of the three that he'd ever do was for a news station down in Indianapolis when they were running a 40th anniversary story, uh, news story on this whole incident. And this is a little bit of the information that I could find that went on between the two of them when he was in their apartment. Okay. Dick Hall would recount on what happened after they arrived in Tony's apartment. He would say that Tony would shift the shotgun around to where it's now facing Dick Hall. And Tony would sit across from him at his dining room table in his apartment. And then Tony would tell him, we're going to have a jury trial. And that I am the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Well, the whole time he's having this shotgun pointed directly into his face. Jesus Christ. He would also say that Tony had about 100 questions for him about the events that happened with, between them and everything else that happened that drove tony to this point but yeah. questions aren't available online anywhere unfortunately it's probably just be like why did you know what happened with this company and why they pull out and so on and so forth mm -hmm. dick call would also call his dad at one point during the standoff and say to him dad we have wronged tony and we got to do something to make this right and it was also one of the very few phone calls that tony kurtz's allowed hall to make but didn't listen in on this particular phone call for some reason, I'm going to guess probably because of it being one of his parents. Mm -hmm. But Tony could tell by the look on Dick Hall's face that he didn't get the answer that he wanted from his dad. 
his dick hole would say is like, we didn't do anything wrong, like son. But with the look on his face, that's like, dad, that's not the answer I'm looking for right now. Yeah, I can imagine. Because I'm sure like his dad had probably heard about this on the radio or saw it on the news in Indianapolis. Because this was like a huge story at the time that it happened. They were like most Indianapolis news stations were live constantly 24 hours for mm-hmm. this. He would also, Dick Hall, that is, would make a call to his wife as well. And uh, he would tell his wife, Tony's a really a good man. He has a good heart. But when Tony heard this, he would snatch the phone from Dick Hall's hand and just say, I got a black heart and hung up the phone. Damn. Yeah. This, to show Tony's range of emotions, that's mm-hmm. another one of those things that he would just be all over the place. When when he was asked also about what went on in Kurtz's apartment during those nights, he was held there. And whether he had argued with Tony or not, Dick Hall would answered i actually i was doing a little bit of both i had the position that i shouldn't let him run me over with but if i could help it and so i kind of stood up to him from time to time and argued with him but then it also would get to the point when he became a little bit unmanageable and he would pistol whip me with a revolver that he had a couple of times when i raised objections to him i raised my fist at him a couple of times and that really pissed off tony and other times he was just an ordinary guy. We were kind of buddy buddy. He told me his life story. He teared up sometimes talking about his mother. Damn. Police officers would make an attempt to calm Tony down by having his friends in law enforcement talk to Tony as well. And also his brother, Jimmy Kurtzis, would be brought in because he was like the one of the two brothers that he still really kind of talked to. Mm-hmm. And from the documentary, I wanted to add in his small part of his interview on how he found out about what his brother was doing. Oh. And so, I was called by my wife by the radio in my truck to call home right away. So I pulled into a shell station and asked an employee by the name of Steve to use his telephone. Steve told me to look at the TV and said to him, look at what the hell's going on in Indy. So I looked up and I said back to him, my God, that's my brother. You think the worst when you see something like that. Someone getting killed or killing someone when you see something like that. I called Frank Love of the Indiana State Police and I told him I would be on my way and he responded to him, don't, don't drive, we are sending a helicopter working at land. Damn. Yeah. His, how how far, you said he's in Brown County. Which is south of Marion County. But how in, far south that they're sending a plane? It. He didn't say where he was at in mm. Brown County, he just said he was in Brown County. Unless I missed where he said he was at for me to figure it out. Okay. My guess is it's probably somewhere in, you know, had to been, would be more than an hour's drive mm-hmm. trying to get through Indianapolis from wherever the hell he was at in Brown County. Got so it. with the sense, the sense of urgency they had with this, because of this never happening before, that's probably why they sent a helicopter for him mm-hmm. to just bypass all the bullshit traffic and yeah. there was video that this helicopter they sent for him landing near the apartment complex for him to get out of so the jimmy the police and fred heckman that i had mentioned before that would be a key person in this whole thing mm-hmm. would also have issues trying to contact tony over the phone over the next two and a half days because of random people calling tony's telephone senses you know back in the time of phone books mm-hmm. people were calling to like to show his support and basically by well, so people were encouraging this yeah because they saw this as a way of him sticking it to the man basically you know getting what he wants kind of like another 
dipshit, which I'm sure haven't heard of my name, but he goes by Killdozer also. Mm-hmm. You've, he, you've told me about him. He should have walked away, but he chose not to. Mm-hmm. And that's just my personal opinion, so don't get all fucking pissy on our Facebook group about it or whatever. <laughs> uh, so with that, also with every news station would about now be in the area as well, too, because of what's going on. By the end of day one, Tony would get his apology for Meridian Mortgage, which I actually have. Okay. And it's super fucking basic. This is a statement that has been authorized by Mr. M.L. Hall, the chairman of the board of Meridian Mortgage and Hall Hoddle. This is a public apology to Anthony Kurtzis for all wrongs Meridian Mortgage or Hall Hall Hoddle have committed with respect to Mr. Kurtzis. That's it. Are you kidding me? That is it. That's the whole damn thing. And I listened to it two to three times to make sure that was what it said word for word. And that was all it said. Did... Tony Caritzis like accept that apology. Um, there was like there's not much audio available for this. You can try and search mm-hmm. audio of anything related to this, and it's the same four or five videos that um is that so Salem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that all the videos, YouTube videos that I could find are either tied to the 40th anniversary of this. Okay. Or the videos that Dead Man's Line has posted on YouTube. That's it. Or other random people going over this whole court case. On the morning of day two, Tony wants to make a statement about the mortgage company and he would have Fred Heckman play it on the air. They did not edit his audio for it. And once again, can't find it. It's only available in the documentary. Like, so they played his, what his statement was word for word, profanity included, over radio waves, which now comes with a big fine, which they probably paid for him at the time. FCC is going to cut you down. Pretty much. And then Fred Heckman actually would apologize before playing, you know, he would apologize to any of their listeners for the the rough language that Mm -hmm. they're about to hear in the statement, but they weren't going to edit it because of trying to keep Tony calm, basically. Yeah. Because they didn't want to do anything to trigger him to maybe possibly kill, you know, Richard Hall. Uh, what he said in this statement, this is the where he would make his claims that Murdy Mortgage had moved in to lure away any of Tony's possible clients so they could foreclose on his land and to buy it cheaper for their own developments. Tony would make this claim multiple more times to television and radio stations that he would call into during a standoff in the press conference he would have towards the, the end of this. Uh, also one day, too, his brother Jimmy, that showed up by helicopter, would also clear the air on live broadcasts about some of the rumors that were going around about him demanding a $5 million ransom and that he has held his sister hostage for $50,000 eight years prior to this for three days. This is his brother? Mm-hmm. His brother is giving this interview about the rumors because oh, okay. he was asked by a news okay. reporter. And Jimmy is like, no, none of this is all true. But mm-hmm. even though that was one of Tony's demands was the $5 million. I got you. His attorney, John C. Ruckelhaus II, would also show up on day two and would be there to help talk to law enforcement, the state prosecuting attorney's office, and so forth about a possibility even for... Immunity was even possible for Tony Kurtzis at this Mm -hmm. time. Also, the National Guard would be brought up from Fort Benjamin Harrison with their EOD, which is Explosive Ordnance Disposal, which is basically what the military calls a bomb squad. Okay. 
Uh, they believe they can defuse the situation with Tony by breaking through an interior wall adjacent to Tony's apartment through his bedroom wall. But Tony had heard about this uh, plan on the radio, and he blew up after calling about this whole situation when he heard about it uh, to the radio station. So this now has taken that possibility out because he now knows this is going to happen. They mm-hmm. had the elements of surprise until it got ruined by news reporters, would be my guess, that overheard it. More than likely. Reported it, you know. <laughs> also, another thing that would happen on day two, the FBI would actually send in Patrick Mullaney, which is a hostage negotiator and psychologist for the FBI at the request of the Indianapolis Police Department. After he arrives, he is able to put a profile together on Tony, is now assisting the Indianapolis Police Department and the Indiana State Police with tips on what to say to him, what not to do to get control of the situation. In a nutshell, he tells them to let Tony be in control because once you take that away from him, that's when he gets dangerous. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what happens on day two. Like I said, not a whole lot really goes on. Yeah, It's a lot of back and forth with hostage negotiators, a lot of bullshit with the news media that he's hearing, and he's calling in WIBC to talk to Fred Heckman to relay like, he wouldn't talk to anybody else but Fred, so he would call him. He would talk to the police, and it would be so on and so forth. And, like, Indianapolis Police Department and state officers they talked to said all said that Fred Heckman was, like, the key person in this whole thing because that's who Tony would only really talk to. And he was Fred Heckman was also considered, like, the Walter Cronkite of Indianapolis. Okay. So... And on day three, this is when Tony's emotions are starting to be all over the place, anywhere from being anxious, happy, and depressed at times. But And they were constantly changing. Uh, Mulaney from the FBI is now suggesting that making upbeat comments to Tony during negotiations to pep him back up when he is talking to them because he is afraid that if he if they don't keep him talking, that's when somebody's about to die. Ooh. Yeah, like, we're getting, like, he probably hasn't slept a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, how can you sleep and hold a gun to somebody? Yeah, well, that was one of the things about the table that he has in his apartment where him and Dick Hall would sit at. Mm-hmm. They they actually fell asleep with him holding that gun, and they were surprised it never went off. Wow. Yeah. And that's basically what's going on during the day of day three is them just trying to talk to him, and Bellini's doing his profiling, giving him tips and whatnot, and mm-hmm. this is where the where George March, the deputy prosecutor of Marion County, comes in and reads a statement granting Tony Kurtz's immunity. And what was put in their official statement was, Mr. Anthony George Kurtzis, the Marion County prosecutor James F. Kelly, does by here confer and grant to Mr. Anthony George Kurtz's immunity from prosecution with reference to the abduction of Richard Hall and all subsequent acts done or alleged to have been done or caused by the said Anthony George Kurtzis this document is signed by James F. Kelly and authorized by David L. Rimstedt, which were part of the prosecuting office of Vermeerian County at this time. Okay. James Kelly also would make it clear that this would be enforced since Tony was watching the news and listening and listening on the radio at the entire time as well, too. Fred Mullaney would also suggest the building a stage to draw Tony out of his apartment as they would expect Tony would see this and that's where he should be at. Okay. While they are building this stage, his attorney is calling him to letting him know he's got the $5 million that he's requested, but he's not getting an answer on the phone from him. And this is where everyone's starting to get worried. 
But suddenly, in after dark, a news reporter spots Tony Kurtzis and Dick Hall leaving his apartment, and they're making their way to the lobby, probably after he saw that stage, like they yeah. thought oh, he would do. He would come out. And this was in the lobby of his apartment building, and it was full of news reporters, law enforcement officers, county sheriffs, Indianapolis police, state police. I mean, there's pictures that this room was crammed full of people. Read that, pal. Read it. Turn the cameras on all three to hold it. I want on national television. I've been called a kidnapper, an extortionist, a thug, and everything else. I want it on all three national channels. I've got friends all over the country. You read it. Patrick Mullaney is still profiling Tony now as he's in the same room with him, which I'm sure it was easier for him to do this profile on him, being able to read his body language now, being physically being able to see Tony. Mm-hmm. He would march Dick Hall into the middle of the room where he would read off a statement he had wrote stating that they had mistreated Tony Kurtzis and they would pay him $5 million in damages. But Tony Kurtzis would become irritated with the way Dick Hall's reading it and he would start reading his uh, an apology letter as it basically was. But this is normally where I would have wanted to put a sound clip of where oh, he's reading this off, but it's actually 31 minutes long. That's pretty long yeah. for a song clip. Yeah, I wasn't going <laughs> to eat up 31 minutes of an episode here of just listening yeah. to one guy going on and dropping the F-bomb and, yeah. you know, pulling in random police officers that he knew from out in the area and, you know, mm-hmm. saying that they're, they're a good cop, he's a good guy, just and whatnot. And what interesting thing is, it's like he's reading this off, though, it's like he's like, there's a one man standing next to him with water and he's like, come on, give me a drink of water, pal. When he's, yeah. Tony Kuritza said yeah. that? Yeah. Oh this my guy. Goodness. So yeah. And the guy gives him water, you know, since he had his hands full. I mean, he's standing there with a gun. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'd probably give him a drink of water too. <laughs> yeah. But you know, there was only the, there was only the one gun and it was focused on one person at the time. Mm-hmm. Mulaney would also say during, his interview time with the crew for Dead Man's Land, Tony was also starting to look like a, he was getting ready to shoot Dick Hall, and he was also getting su- suicidal while he's reading off the statement, like said, his emotions all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so this is what Patrick Mullaney came up with while he was actually being able to profile him from the same room. One of the main photos that comes up when you search for Anthony Kurtzis or Tony Kurtzis mm-hmm. is actually a Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize winning photo. And when I first looked at this photo, I was like, holy shit, what is this about? I got to do a story on this. But when I started looking into this, this is when it, I didn't realize this was actually a plan that the chief Eugene Gallagher of the Indianapolis Police Department had put together that's in this photo. Okay. So with everything else going on, they had talked to some doctors about what is the best way to, to kill somebody instantly if they had to. Uh, they found out from these doctors that the best way to do it is to put the gun directly behind his ear and pull the trigger. So with this information, Chief Gallagher came up with this plan that he would drop a handkerchief out of his pocket onto the floor while he would go to signify to put the plan into action. Mm -hmm. So the plan was after he dropped the handkerchief, he would take his service revolver, put it behind Tony's ear and pull the trigger while an officer on the on Tony's right side that's in the photo would jam his gun to keep it from firing, 
But the problem is, like I said in episode one, he had that leather or plastic sleeve over the whole firing mechanism to where they couldn't jam it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chief Gallagher said during an interview that I had started to pull that handkerchief out of my pocket three times during his conference, but each time I would put it back. So he was ready to do this, but he wasn't sure. Mm -hmm. Which probably in the best interest of everybody, this was probably the best thing to do because it probably was that sleeve was the biggest issue causing a problem yeah now i'm not wondering if they would have gone an alternative way of possibly having two other people in the situation grabbing on to like as let's say as gallagher shot tony kuritz's somebody grabbed tony's body to keep his body weight up and dick hall at the same time and bring them down to the ground together to keep the pressure off that trigger if that wouldn't have been an option if they ever discussed it uh i don't know well so during this press conference tony would give thanks to everybody that was fair to him and support him during this time and he'd also apologize for his language that he used as this had happened to be before they would leave and go into another room where tony would wait for his money before he would finally release Hall. After he gets a signed note and he releases Hall, he steps outside firing a shotgun to prove that it was loaded the whole time. They were never sure if it really was, if he was... Ballsy. He was, then they were never sure if it was actually loaded or if you know, he was just saying that it was, Or but they cautioned on the side of error that he treated it like a loaded gun, like you're supposed to anytime you're handling one, that you're supposed to handle a gun as if it's loaded every time, mm-hmm. even if you know it's not. So after he goes outside, he fires his gun off to prove that it's loaded. This is where he'd be quickly arrested and taken to the county jail. And his only response to that was, well, that was a cheap shot. (laughs) Yeah. In a press conference the next day, it would be revealed that the immunity and the banknote were all just a ruse to persuade Tony to come out to save Dick Hall's life. And of course, course save Tony Kurtz's life because the first thing you want to do is... you public service is is to preserve life and property Mm -hmm. no matter what if you can dick hall actually would attend this press conference where he would be applauded in a standing ovation but unfortunately my dumbass forgot to you know take a quote of what he said wow and of course guess what couldn't find it (laughs) so yeah that's one of those things i need you know we're still learning i need to you know covering something like this if Quotes are going to seem important. Mm-hmm. I need to make, you know, listen to them more than once, make sure I get it right. So this is actually what happened. What? This is actually what happened between Tony and the mortgage company. The mortgage company was actually giving Tony extensions to pay the mortgage on his 17 acres. Okay. They did this repeatedly, but when they stopped giving him extensions on the payments, this is where they be- Tony believes that this is where they are trying to cheat him out by moving people to other properties to build their businesses on. And this is where he started devising his plan, mm-hmm. basically, is when he was he felt he was getting cheated out by Meridian Mortgage. But there isn't any evidence to clearly back up that Tony's claim on that. And now you mentioned that what I said about the sister. Yeah. That actually happened. Really? Yes. During his trial, his older sister would testify that this was very similar to when he broke into her house eight years before this happens. And he held her at gunpoint for three days to demand a settlement for the work that he did at the family-owned trailer park. And like the situation that with Dick Hall, he then also would demand not to be sent to a psychiatrist and not to press charges. So basically immunity again. 
Why is he so against going to a psychiatrist? Probably because he didn't want to be locked up for a majority of his life. Because he's fucking nuts. Well, yeah. There's no info. There was never anything that I could find released about what he was ever diagnosed with. Uh, explosive something. I can't remember. Is it like intermittent explosive disorder? That's the term I'm looking for. IED. Yeah, I'm sure you, with your line of work, you can... No, you know these terms better than I would. Yes, sir. So this is where his case was very controversial. Oh, you wanted to clap right then, didn't you? No. So, <laughs> not really. After reading through all this, like, this was like the OJ trial of its time. Okay. Ain't the case against any of its time, basically. Like, I mean, that's... Yeah, I get it. When his verdict was read, it was actually announced during an Indiana Pacers game, which is the NBA team we have here in Indiana. We have here in Indiana. Ooh, not not the NASCAR race. No. Oh, I see what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I've been to that actual NASCAR race we have here, and it's actually quite boring in person. That's what you said. But anyhow, <laughs> but yeah, his verdict would be announced during a home game of the Indianapolis Pacers. Okay. In, excuse me, Indiana Pacers. It's actually Indiana Pacers, not Indianapolis. Anyway, oh, getting off okay. track. I wouldn't have known either I way. know you wouldn't have. <laughs> and so most people wouldn't either. And I'm probably still wrong anyway. Because <laughs> I don't watch fucking basketball. No. Even though I'm from Indiana. And another thing is, I don't play it either. Oh my God, even though you're so tall, man. I know, yeah. It's like I'm committing a fucking sin against the my state. <laughs> I mean, you had a whole basketball ass movie made from the Hoosier state. Right, I know. Who's your state? I know. <laughs> okay. So, as I've said, and we've been getting on track, there would like, as high profile as this was, people were backing Tony, calling him a hero, basically. There's a small clip of, about his patriotism. You know, he's about calling himself the biggest fla- flag waver there is because of his immigrant background that he has. What okay? So what nationality was he? Not he was that it matters. He was, His parents were Greek immigrants. Oh, they make some good fucking euros. Mm-hmm. Anyways, on October twenty first, Tony Anthony Kuritsis would actually be found not guilty by the reason of insanity. As to count three of the information, the form of the verdict is: we, the jury. Find the defendant, Anthony G. Caritzis, not guilty by reason of... Just a minute, mister. I know. It's hard to believe that that's... So, this whole time he's like, no psychiatrist, no psychiatrist, no psychiatrist. But then he gets the guilty because... Mm-hmm. He's nuts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just wait. Oh my goodness. After 14 days, the jury almost become a hung hung jury after multiple different votes to get their verdict. It was believed that the jury was swayed by feeling sorry for Tony by being screwed out of his land. And one of the jurors that would be interviewed for Dead Man's Line would recount that Tony, while Tony was on the stand, he would have to push an ice cream cart for up to 12 hours a day when he was nine years old. And also he and his siblings would have to collect the newspaper cups and wash them out to be reused to save money. 
and that he would be publicly beaten by his father when they didn't collect cups fast enough after some cars had ran over them. And that that juror said that he could relate to that more than you ever could know. Mm-hmm. Tony would also have to return to court on November 9th, 1977 for psychological evaluations, but he refused these, so he would be incarcerated until 1988 in various mental health facilities across the state of Indiana and would be released that year. And he would lead a peaceful life until his death in 2005. Mm-hmm. And to just for a little fun thing, he can actually be tied into one of our previous episodes. Which was? He's actually buried in Crown Hill Cemetery. <laughs> of course. Of course he is. Yeah, well, like I said, over 200,000 body, uh, mm-hmm. 200,000 people have been laid to rest there. We're probably going to run into that from time to time when we do Indiana. Yeah. I um, I wanted to originally end this with this quote that I had found from a police officer that ran into Tony, but I don't want to end an episode focused on, you know, the perpetrator of a crime. Right. So this is from Don Campbell of the Indianapolis Police Department the day that he saw Tony after he was released. I saw Tony the day that he got released at Charlie Brown's restaurant in Speedway. He's a guy who spent spent 11 years in mental hospitals and prisons, and he looked exactly the way he did the day he got arrested. He hadn't changed at all. And he walked up to me and said, Do I know you before or after I got in trouble? I said, During, he said. You've got my shotgun, don't you? I told him it wasn't going to do either of us any good because it has been decommissioned. He just laughed. This is the last time I ever saw him. Truth is, Don Campbell actually does have it. Ah, sneaky, sneaky. Yeah, but it, like you said, it's not going to do any good telling him that he has it. Mm-hmm. Um, in response to Tony's verdict, this law would actually be changed nationwide. So the law for the insanity defense would be changed to that, that it had to be proved beyond a reasonable doubt that the client is insane. This plea would be entered in only about 0.85% of cases this is used is actually often withdrawn because they're not really insane Mm -hmm. because people think oh i'm going to you know claim it and you're going to get away scot-free it's very similar to the mcdonald's hot coffee Uh, yep i remember that yeah and all this lady wanted was her medical bills paid and that Mm -hmm. was it that could be another episode before i get into that which is kind of funny i mentioned that because i did see that video about that on my lunch today One of the most interesting things about this is that Dick Hall was actually able to stay out of the spotlight for 40 years after this happened. Yeah, that's crazy. You can understand why with, you know, such a traumatic experience, probably suffered from PTSD and things didn't, you know, don't want to talk about it. It's going to bring things up again. Uh, People that were close to Hall would say he was, the people that were close to Dick Hall, when asked where his whereabouts were, some people would say they don't know, he's dead, but... Nobody was saying where he was at. It was believed he moved to Florida. Some say he stayed around in Indianapolis, still lived in the same home, which does dig come up to find out that he had a home down, a vacation home in Florida. He still did live in Indianapolis and he would move back and he would bounce back and forth between the two. He'd snowbird. Mm-hmm, pretty much. Uh, some of the, his close friends say that before all this, he was a very well-rounded and outgoing person. And then afterwards he became very quiet, drawn in and seemed depressed all the time. I, wouldn't be surprised I, yeah i can this. understand that he would only speak publicly about this entire three times his entire life and that's not counting his time on the stand during mm-hmm. the trial um one of these times was i mentioned previously at the end of our last episode where a high school student 
called in, you know, wanting to get a story on him. Uh, he gave her a small interview and told her, I wish, I really wish I could just forget the whole thing. The other time was, you know, the press conference the day after everything had happened. Well, days after everything happened. And the last time would be during the interview that they would have for the 40th anniversary of this. At the time, he was writing a book about, from his point of view of everything that happened, called Kritzis and Me, enduring 63 hours at gunpoint. Dick Call would leave Meridian Mortgage in 1980, and his brother would, and Meridian Mortgage would close shortly after this as well, too. Mm -hmm. He would pass away on May 20th of this year for of this year, 2022, from a brief illness, didn't say... He died this year? Yes, he did. Aw. Didn't say what the illness was from his obituary on the website for his book. It just said brief illness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things that also happened with Dick Hall during this, some child that knew who he was, that his parents knew, and this is pretty fucked up, and this eight-year-old told him, is like, my mom knows you and said that, that was Mr. Tony and said you should have blown your head off. Coming from an eight-year-old fucking child that doesn't know what's going on. What a dick. Yeah. And so it's like this and like... That he, child's going to grow up and be the next Tony Kuritzis. I don't know. They didn't give a name about it, but he would be basically trip, followed around by paparazzi and whatnot. As not paparazzi, news reporters and whatnot. Yeah. Like one of the things that you recalled was that being seeing him on the fucking news, just having a beer with his family, and they were filming him through a fucking window. You know, just and Dick Cole would say that he didn't have any problem with media. With media, he just didn't like the constant badgering witness. You know, not badgering the witness. This is not you know on trial anymore. You know, badgering him mm-hmm. being part of this, and he just wanted to forget it, move on with his life, and it just keeps getting brought up. So I could see why people his friends and family could say that you know he became quiet and depressed from this because he just wants to move on and people keep bringing it up Mm -hmm. um so after two episodes that's the story of anthony kritzis and dick hall with the dead man's land out of indianapolis that's crazy yeah and that like i don't that's just crazy to me and the thing is is like Later, shortly in a couple, like the next year in the, or a few years after that, somebody else had held another, like 1977 was the start of a widespread ver- like string of hostage situations. Like while watching this, I found out about one man that took a new station hostage, which I might do as a subject later on next year. And when I look into it, because the small clip that I watched about it, his like, He's standing there holding the gun, doing an interview, all calm, being like, just talking to you like I am now, you know, and be like, people come, he sees coming, he's like, yeah, come on in, no, don't, got nothing to worry about, just come on in here, you know, just being super friendly while he's holding this fucking gun, holding this, like, news station, like, hostage. Wow. Yeah. I want to hear that one. Yeah. So maybe I'll have to look into it. Yeah. Even though I'm probably going to take up most of this episode, what do you have for us this week, Sarah? What do you think I have? Um, I'm going to guess, um, maybe true crime. No! What? No! Okay. It is going to be a very, it's not a long thing. So mine is folklore. Okay. And it's not a long read. Mm-hmm. When I had seen, like, browsing through looking for topic ideas, mm-hmm. had seen this one, and it's been sitting in my favorites. Right. Waiting for a time to use it with it being so short i'm like you know what he's got a lot to read 
right. I'm going to go ahead and bang this out and be done with it. Ow. So it is about the Kochi. Okay. Which, if you look at the spelling of it, it is literally cat, C-A-T, dash, Sith, S-I-T-H. And my dumbass read it as cat, Sith, the entire time. So, just like people that pronounce Owen as Sam Hain, kind of basically. <laughs> I really whited it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is caught she. Okay. Okay. So, you know, well, it's... Do you what? go into where that comes from? Yes. Okay. So yes. then I'll not ask that question. Yes. So it's been well documented and even immortalized in books, movies, and TV that the ancient Egyptians worshipped cats. Mm-hmm. And you know that house cats walk around like they expect you to worship them. <laughs> Little bastards. Well, except for Salem, he always... As he's not walking, expecting me to worship him. He's expecting me to leave him the fuck alone because I'm always picking him up all the time. I honestly, I think when you pick him up and he want, they both want down that quick, mm-hmm. I think it's just the height. They don't, I don't think they like being that high. I guess. I don't know. It's even when I'm sitting down and he comes and taps on my chair like he just mm-hmm. heard Ginger doing just now. Yeah. Um, he still, he still is that way. Right. But I'm sure you, you like the whole scene of me six foot five chasing after a fucking 12 pound black cat to the house it's just pretty, it is pretty great attention on him pretty great um yeah so in ancient celtic mythology the feline species were not only there to worship mm-hmm. they also just so happened to be magical beings from the fairy realm <laughs> and then you enter the kachi or in the english translation the fairy cat okay you talking about the lore of that? It reminded me of a story, but I'm not sure how much true it is because of how much creepy pasta there is uh-huh. about Hispanic belief on cats. Is that if you ever see a cat stand up and ruffle its fur at a, a window doorway, he's actually distracting the devil from trying to enter your home mm-hmm. because the as the lore goes, the cat will make a deal with the devil that he has to count all the hairs on their body before he lets. The cat lets them into the home, and just before he finishes counting, the cat will get up and ruffle their fur so the devil loses count. Ah. No, that's not in this one, but you've told me that before, and I think that's pretty cool. And the thing is, I've seen Salem do that once. Well, I mean... Which I'm not surprised it would be Salem to be the one that does it, as much as he screams into our bathroom mirror for no fucking reason. Right. Or the way he was looking into the oven earlier. I wish you really could have caught that. <laughs> uh, anyways... <clears throat> So the Kochi is said to travel with its counterpart. You ready? Mm-hmm. The Coochie. <laughs> so this is the the Kochi and the Cooch the Coochie. <laughs> the caught, like I caught a okay. Okay, the Kochi and the Coochie. <laughs> it's it's like the Japanese twins of Austin Powers, basically. Okay, the coochie, literally, it's in translation, is the fairy dog. So it's the fairy cat, the fairy dog. And that's the only thing brought up about the coochie. (laughs) Yes, we're children, stop. (laughs) Do I need to go get the bottle of ketchup out and squeeze it too and get them all out of the fucking way? No. Get the fart sounds out of the way from the ketchup bottle? Okay, I'm going to go on. Okay, hold on. Uranus. Oh, okay. okay. Now we're done. 
It resembles a large black cat with a white spot on its chest. Very similar to somebody else around this place. Salem but... Salem does not have white on his chest. Yes, he, he has. Does, does he? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought he only had he the has, white on his primordial pouch. No, I'm pretty sure he has a little bit of white on his chest. He may. Oh, maybe he's maybe he's a kachi. Okay. Anyways, um, supposed to be as uh yeah. It's told that it is as large as a dog, but only chooses to display itself in like your typical Halloween black cat, yeah, <laughs> uh, way like mm-hmm. haunched back, ru- you know. Ruffled fur. Ruffled fur, yeah. However, it's also said that they could walk on two legs and even speak to humans if they wanted to, which is not so Halloween typical. Just kidding. Because most of them were in disguise anyways. They resorted to walking on all four legs and meowing or purring as a means of uh, communicating with the human folk. Legend tells us that that the cat haunts the Scottish Highlands, the legend surrounding this creature is more often found in Scottish folklore, but it can and has been found in Irish, mm-hmm. but it's mostly Scottish. Okay. Common folklore suggests that Kotshi was not a fairy, but instead was a witch that could transform into a cat and back into its human form nine times. If the witch chose to go back into cat form for the ninth time, they would remain a cat for the rest of their life, however long that would be. And this is where uh, it's believed that it's believed that this is where the idea of a cat having nine lives came to be. Okay. Yes, I was just thinking about asking you that question, but yes, I did. I did not know that all right. until I read all this last night. So people from the Scottish Highlands did not trust the Kotchi because they believed it would steal a person's soul prior to it being claimed by the gods. They did this, trying to steal the soul, by walking over a fresh corpse's grave. Which now is considered bad luck. People would watch over the corpses day and night to keep the the kachi away from the corpses. They called this act of watching over the bodies late wake. I've never heard of this before. Yes. In order to distract the Kachi, they found ways to lure them away from the dead. There would be, oh, I don't know, games of, like, leaping and wrestling. Like, just leaping around and wrestling. And catnip, music and riddles. Like, the leaping and wrestling part, you look confused. It's what our dumbasses do all day long. Oh, okay. (laughs) I... I look confused because I was thinking it was like humans were doing this. No, this is this this is the Kachi doing this. Okay, because the... I was like, I was thinking it's like, why the fuck are people leaping and fighting to keep <laughs> these Kachis away? And then I brought up catnip, and that didn't strike you as odd that yeah, we're thinking was... they were human. And it still was like, how? What the hell? How's this? Yeah, I, I don't know. My brain, I guess, stopped functioning and. Forgot that you were talking about cat-like creatures for some reason. <laughs> so, um, additionally, there were never any fires lit anywhere near the corpses for two reasons. One, you don't want heat near a dead body. Right. For completely obvious reasons. Right, so uh, you don't need a long pig barbecue going. Correct. Two, because the fire would only attract the kachi because they, I mean, they needed the warmth. 
Right. Which is probably why Ginger's on my face when I sleep. The Kotshi is quite possibly the very first folklore tale that is responsible for the modern day association with black cats and Halloween. Hmm. On, you don't know, uh, I was hoping you'd be like, Sam Hain. No. On On Samhain, it's believed that the Kotshi would bless any home that left them a saucer of milk to drink. They would bless them with predictions of the future. They would forecast them upcoming weather and bring them just all around good fortune. The houses that did not leave them saucers of milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, their sources of milk would dry up, like literally. So they're saying their cows would not produce milk anymore? Their cow's titties would dry up and they would be squeezing out powdered milk. Like, not like they would get okay. nothing. So there is a demonic Kachi named Big Ears, and he could be summoned. Big Ears would be able to grant you any wish that you had, but only if you partook in the ceremony. And the ceremony required participants to burn the bodies of cats over the course of four days and nights. Okay, I don't want nothing to do with that ceremony. Like constantly for four days and nights? Four days and nights. Constantly. So that's a whole lot of cats that they gotta find. Correct. Burn their bodies for four days. In other tales, the Kotshi had been guardians, symbols of Celtic warriors. They were powerful yet feared. They were hell-bent on exposing your, your darkest secrets. And this resulted in the ancient Celts viewing all cats with suspicion. And furthermore, believing that if a cat, especially a black cat, was seen lurking in a graveyard at night, it was automatically a bad omen. Just automatically. Huh. Now, for me, per, you know, personally, mm-hmm. um, I love cats. Right. Me and Amy have discussed being raised by house cats. Right. Because <laughs> uh, we've always had cats in the house. In- Anywhere from one to three at a time my entire life. Like right now? We have three. Yeah. So, always had cats... Black cats have always been my favorite. My very first cat that I remember uh, was a black cat named Cleo. And since then, they've been my favorite. And I kind of love the idea. Okay, so she died of feline leukemia. Okay. And I was only like four, five when she died. But I remember. And it just kind of made me smile reading this to think that you know, she passed away and went back to the fairy world. <laughs> I just thought it was, it was cute. But that's it. Yeah. There ain't shit on this other yeah. than that. Like, no, I looked up multiple pages. And it's like with you associating this with black cats, I'm thinking about Salem as you're reading this off and like uh-huh. the saucer of milk. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to fucking happen. Maybe if it's a saucer of freshly baked fucking salmon. Yeah, maybe if we leave a, a saucer of pureed salmon, maybe. <laughs> That just does not sound appetizing. I'm sure there's probably a mid-century fucking recipe that deals with a salmon jello mold out there. Oh, God. (laughs) Salmon jello. Oh, my God. Like, I can't do jello to begin with. Right. But then you throw in a fishy fucking smell (laughs) and flavor. And I'm like, that's I'm right. Either puking or puking. 
Well, you know, there in the 50s and 60s, that was like the rise of the jello salad, you know, basically. Uh, and thankfully, God. it went away just as fast. <laughs> and it makes me think of the fucking jello mold that the ant from Christmas Vacation brought oh, to Christmas cat. dinner with the cat food in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I had found this super cool picture of, it's a, obviously art of the kochi. Look how cool that is. Mm-hmm. It looks like a more goth Salem. I know. <laughs> Punk rock pussy. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought it was super cool. But yeah, that was the whole the whole thing. And I literally looked up pages upon pages upon pages. And it was a lot of repetitive stuff. It was a lot of repetitive stuff. So mine's going to be another one out there and it's going to be just as repetitive. Not getting no new information from me. Well, you never know. Somebody might have not heard of it. And that's been our main focus is to well, talk about the lesser known things. Yeah. And, you know, some people might have heard some about some of the stuff that we have before. I know somebody yeah. had said that about when I went over James Huberty, that uh-huh. they had heard about it before, but that I've heard of him, but didn't know of what he did. I had heard of the McDonald's and I had seen pictures of right. the, the bodies. Right. Long ago, but I never knew the name of who did it or right. anything behind it. I had just seen the pictures. Right. Let me guess, probably Rotten.com. I mean, you know, could have been. Yeah. Yeah. More than likely. Because huh. our generation was brought up on that, that's why we're not Hell so yeah. shocked by Hell yeah, Rotten.com and E-bombs world. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> we're old. I don't even know if they're even still around. Rotten.com? Or E-bombs world. Rotten.com hasn't been around for oh. years. Years. I wish it was, though. I fucking love that page. Yeah. That's the kind of weirdo I am. <laughs> no. I'm not because, you know, my time spent in public service seemed... More yeah, than no. you needed to. I, you know, I saw and I smelled it. I can, you know, I got it in fucking 3D vision, basically. Ooh, so. smell-o-vision. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm good. I did, had no interest in yeah. com. So. You're probably also a little smarter than I am, so... I mean, yeah, I am curious, but, you know, I curious to a point that i don't need to go seeking shit out like that yeah i'm curious to a fault right. like what chick sticks her head out the window and gets her face blown off when she hits a stop sign what <laughs> let's go look it up right i've seen that video numerous times too <laughs> it's a real thing oh yeah i know <laughs> i remember seeing headlines for it yeah it's but a- we all of us weird sisters Right. Had our times and websites. And and I'm sure anybody that listens to true crime, you know, has done the same thing. Oh, I'm sure. If not, like, just out of curiosity, just random fucking people. Right. They've definitely looked up crime scene photos for probably the big six. Yeah. And, yeah. So, it is. Whatever. Yeah. I'm sure it is. But, I mean, most of my curiosity is just looking up the people that other shows have talked about just so i can see what these people look like i have done that a couple times yeah it's like i think I, we've talked about this before in a previous episode about like andre chicatillo was like one of the worst ones oh, of oh yeah it's like he's, <laughs> like if he's like a scrot sack in right fucking human form <laughs> A scr- Seriously, a scrot sack in human form, like of- a melted candle, right? And, melted candle and, wax over a fucking scrot sack, and no teeth. Like, yes, doesn't help. It's like, what is big deal? You expect Andre Tikichilo to look like <laughs> look like Playboy? No, 
<laughs> oh, what? See what you did there. You're gonna bring that shit in anyways, weren't no. you? Uh huh. Go ahead. Mm. Go ahead, because you're very involved with this, and I, I make fun of it because I think it's fucking stupid. So, but you're big into uh, it. I'm not gonna fault uh, you for it. Well, it was and like I really don't want to do it, but you know, we've already talked I about made, it. It's I've, one of your favorite podcasts. I know, and I made some friends along with it. Uh-huh. You know, so before we close out this episode, any fans of Time Suck that are listening, I would like to wish you all a happy December as we. Are now going. We are now a week into it as the time this episode is released. Can I do it? Well, what's that? Gay. Whatever. So. (laughs) I. You know, I had to. I let you do your thing. You let me do mine. I know. But I have the power of cutting you out saying gay. Oh no, you don't. Oh yes, I do. You do, but don't. Which yeah, I can do that, but you wouldn't know how to put it back in. But you don't. She just doesn't really think it's gay. She's just giving us all a hard time. I don't think it's gay. Do I think it's borderline obsessive? I mean, do you think we're kind of borderline cultish, maybe? Um, Cultic curious. Nah. Never mind. I know what you're saying. <laughs> no, I don't think it's a cult. I think you're, it's just a weird fucking fandom. Yeah, you know. Or a weird fucking dandum. We're done. Oh. Let's stop this. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> that said, I think it's about time we close the porium, the emporium up for the day, Sarah. What do you think? I agree. So, with that said, remember to creep it real, but not like by putting a picture of Dan Cummins' face as your avatar <laughs> for the whole month of December. It still may happen. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Our website is live. Make sure you check it out at macabreemporiumpodcast.com. Join our Facebook group and follow us on Twitter at Macabre Emporium. Like and subscribe to us on YouTube at Macabre Emporium Podcast. And if you have any stories of the paranormal true crime, whether it be local or a story you, you, know, you may have heard, weird history you want us to look into and possibly do an episode on or include within an episode, email us at macabreemporiumpod at gmail.com. And remember to follow, rate, review, and share wherever and whenever you can. Help us grow our little baby podcast. So what did you have for this episode? Mine is... What do you think it is? The fucking heater needs to go suck a dick. Oh! Right?